We are in Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 18 and read through the end. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now may the God of peace who brought up who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Now I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings. And may God, God's grace be with you all. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to read your word, Lord, to hear your voice. Lord, to study what you would have for us this morning. Lord, we ask that you would be with each and every one of us here in in the sanctuary and every one of us who is listening to this and somewhere else, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would bless our hearts, that you would attune our ears to hear from you this morning. Be with Pastor Doug as he comes. Give him boldness. Give him strength on your foundation of truth, Lord. We love you and we praise you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thirty-seven. How old is he, Mom? He's thirty-nine. I thought so. <laughs> Which doesn't surprise me. I don't know how old my children really are. One time, I had to take my daughter Jacqueline to the emergency room because she cut her finger, and the attendant there getting information, looked at me and said, when is her birthday? I don't know. <laughs> Ask her. She. So uh, with that, uh, 39. Oh, good Lord have mercy. Let me read for you a note that Faye and, and uh, Delbert Bob sent to us a form of thanksgiving. Thank you. For the prayers for our family, Delbert finally received his last part of his cochlear implant, is adjusting to it. My surgery went well. The surgeon informed me for as long as I suffered the pain, it would take at least one year before pain is gone. But God is good. And I thank him every day for relief of some of the pain, for healing and for you people, for your prayers. We appreciate all your kindness, the calls, the visits, phone calls, the food, but just especially the prayers. Love and prayers, Delbert, Faye, and and Kevin, Bob. It's beautiful notes. Interestingly, though, not planned in any way, but it coincides with our theme this morning, doesn't it? For all that we've been through, the book of Hebrews, however many months we have traversed through this book, we've recognized the fact that there were times that there were just straight theological statements from the writer of the book. 
he begins by declaring that now God speaks to us through his son. And then he highlights the fact that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the law. And sometimes it's just straight theological truth. But then there's times, too, that it almost seems to be a sermon that could be preached. Not just at the time of when he wrote it, but even presently in our churches today. But now we come to a portion of the scripture that just doesn't seem to coincide with what we've had. Now we get to see, if you will, a personal side of the author of Hebrews. Remember, we don't know who he is. We've not been given that privilege to understand or to even know who the writer of this book is. But what we do get to know is even now we get the opportunity to, if you will, don't pay attention to that child. (laughs) He cannot overshout me. Remember, I had six and they couldn't overshout me. I'm glad that that child is here. Can I get an amen? Wonderful. Moms, do not be embarrassed. We are glad that you are here. Now we get to see this input, this personal input, which doesn't seem to fit the genre of what we've just come through. And he begins by saying something very simple. Pray for us. Did you catch that in in verse 18? Pray for us. Wow, the writer of this great book and now asking these people to pray for him. And yet at the same time, that should be nothing new. Because isn't that what James writes for us in chapter 5 and verse 16 when he says pray for one another. The Apostle Paul, also in First and 2 Thessalonians, asked that church to Pray for him. Pray for us. Now it's interesting he didn't say pray for me. He said pray for us. Which gives us an indication that he's not alone in this journey. You are not alone in this journey. He says pray for us. And then he gives us the reasons why. Well, the first reason is, is, is located here in verse 18. They want to be honorable in all things. Honorable in all things. That's a high call, isn't it, for a Christian? That no matter what we are, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, would it bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? The writer is saying, pray for me, pray for us. But we want to be honorable in all things. Not just some things, but all things. Now, take an inventory of your life. Are there cubicles of your heart? Are there portions of your life that you want to hang on to? That that you don't want God to control? A wonderful book entitled, My Heart, Christ's Home. You can finish reading it in about 15 minutes. 
but is packed full of biblical truth about how every portion of our body, every portion of our heart, every portion of our soul said come under the authority of Jesus Christ. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 12? That you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, honorable. The writer of Hebrews is that coming that personal with these people that he says, pray for us, that we be honorable in all things. Which gives me the indication, too, that this particular author is not some fly-by-night traveling salesperson that hears of the the problems in here and he goes and adds his two cents. No. This particular author has an intimate relationship with these people. We don't know if he established this church or not. We have no idea. But we do know of his connection through Jesus Christ. And that the fact of it is, is he's asking them to pray for him and his entourage, his group. Pray for us. What a dynamic thing prayer is, isn't it? Uh, Someone asked me, well, how do you define prayer? It's simply this. Talking to God. Just talking to God. And yet on, on, on Tuesday nights, and I don't say this to chastise anybody, you're missing out on a great blessing if you don't come on Tuesday night to pray. We'd love to have you join us. It would be so great instead of maybe having four or six or eight, if maybe we had this many here on Tuesday night to pray. Can you imagine what God would do as we cry out to him for souls for things, for his glory. I can't think of anything better. We begin at 7 o'clock. We'll save you a seat. Come. We'd love to have you be with us. Prayer. But then he, he moves from prayer, and now he, he goes to another aspect of his request. I want to come see you. I want to visit you. Pray for us to be honorable, but also that maybe God would give us an opportunity to come and visit with you. Wouldn't that be a blessing? I I don't know about you, but I really enjoy when we have our missionaries here and they share with us things that are happening on the field. That encourages me to know that, guess what? The same struggles we have, they have. They're not superhumans. They're blood-bought Christians, just like we are. And yet, but yet they get to tell us things that are happening around the world that many of us, if not any of us, will have the opportunity to be there. I'm waiting for a missionary to Hawaii that I can go visit. Do beach evangelism. Turn or burn. No, turn, you're burning, turn, turn over. (laughs) Better yet, why not go and visit the Smiths in a Muslim country and see what they go through? Why not go down to 
our friends in Argentina and spend some time with the Fortezas. I don't know who would ever want to go to Alaska to visit the Ottingers, but that's up to you. Go into winter, I challenge you. But see what it is, 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 the, is this apostle is saying in this letter, pray that God would let me come visit you. I want to be encouraged by you, and I want to try to encourage you. Isn't that what happens? But then he swiftly moves into a, a benediction. I'm going to draw your attention to four interesting parts of this benediction. We're going to tear this apart a little bit and spend a few moments on highlighting what he's writing here. The first thing he says in verse 20, now may the God of peace. Now you've got to stop and at least consider the fact of why he would write that. Why would he write now may the God of peace? Well, it I trust that you haven't soon forgotten that these people, these first century Hebrew Christians, have been through a lot. They've been chastised. They've been persecuted. They've lost, if you will, even an identity that they once thought they had at the synagogue. Their families have disowned them. Businesses have kept them from being able to do any purchasing And yet they find themselves in a realm of wondering, why did I sign up for this? Why don't we just go back and and have everything just be smooth again? They were in the midst of a storm. And this author says, now may the God of peace. You all know the, the Hebrew word for peace. It's shalom. That's more than just a word, by the way. One particular author highlights the fact that this particular word has a much deeper meaning. For he says the word shalom means this, completeness, wholeness, harmony, fulfillment. They are closer to the meaning implicate, if you will, in shalom is the idea of unimpaired relationships with God and with others. May the God of peace. Oh, if we ever need peace in the world, it's today, isn't it? If we ever need to know and to understand how we as individuals can have this unimpaired relationship with God, it's now. It's in Jesus Christ. And the author is reminding these people that this great peace is more than a word. It's a relationship. And you can hang on to that. That even in the midst of your storm, you can have peace. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up, do you remember what he said to the storm? Peace. Be still. And then the sea became calm. Well, why wouldn't they? Because they heard the voice of their creator. For by him and through him are all things made. Yet was not anything made that wasn't made. He made it all. 
And so they were just responding to the master. Peace. Be still. And that's what this author is saying here to these people. May the God of peace, the one who can calm a storm, the one who can break through the clouds with a ray of sun, show a, a, a beautiful rainbow that just sort of grabs you and, 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 and you just stand in awe of who he is. That's peace. Because you know that our God is in control. Yes, life has its storms, doesn't it? We have storms of jobs. We have storms of family. We have storms of life. And yet in Christ Jesus, there's a peace that passes all understanding. I, I really love what, what uh, uh, Paul wrote to the church of Philippians when he said, may the peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. That peace. The second phrase of this particular uh, uh, benediction is also, uh, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep. Now, when you stop and think about that, what he's doing is reiterating or bringing back or capsulizing what he's already discussed throughout the first 12 chapters. The superiority of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who brought back the, from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. He's God, he's deity. And we already saw that throughout the scriptures as we perused through these many months as we looked at that. It's an indication of who he is. He's not just some fly-by-night person who walked the earth and died upon the cross. No, he's Lord of all. And it's amazing that when he comes again, what's going to be written on his vesture is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's the sovereign one. That's, that's what the writer said. He's the sovereign one. He's the one who's in control. Not only as massive as that is, but yet he is also the great shepherd. I, I hope your minds are continue, right now are instantly going to the Gospel of John. When Jesus is reiterating in his words, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep by name. They know my voice. I protect them. I keep them. I provide for them. I lead them. It's what David caught in Psalm 23, isn't it? When he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What a great dynamic. That we have such a great sovereign king, but yet an intimate carer for our soul. Do you realize, people, Good shepherds never leave their sheep. They're always there. They guide them. They lead them. They make sure they're cared for. And, and, and those these first century Christians here, these Hebrew Christians, though they may have lost their, quote, uh, uh, national identity, but now they've gained a heavenly identity. They're sheep that belong to the shepherd. 
And so are we. What is it that maybe you're struggling with this morning? That you're kind of wondering, what is this all about? If Jesus was really who he says he is, why am I going through this? Because the shepherd's taking you to better grass. He's taking you to still waters. He's taking you that even though in the presence of your enemies, he's going to prepare a table for you. And even though you may be dry, yet your cup is going to overflow. That's what a shepherd does. And he's reminding these people, maybe us even here this morning, that keep focused. May the God of peace, who brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Oh, the third instance in this particular one is is just as powerful, for he says, by the blood of the eternal covenant. I, I hesitate to try to comment too much on this because I don't understand it all. From a theological perspective, I can tell you that as the writer of Hebrews did back in a few chapters before this, when he comments on the fact that Jesus Christ entered into the Holy of Holies with his own blood once for all. I I understand the implication of that. I, I can back that up through scripture. That there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby anybody can be saved. Why? Because he shed his blood upon a cross to consummate, if you will, an eternal covenant that was promised and all the way back in the book of Jeremiah. That's what Jesus did. And yet in reality, I don't understand it. Why is it that God would do that for us? Well, we go to John 3.16 and we have that wonderful verse and I'm not making light of it at all. But why would God love us? For what good reason would he do that? Oh, why is it that even this morning we had the strength enough to sing, He is Lord, He is Lord. He's risen from the dead, He's Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they should have added on to that, to the glory, there it is, to the glory of the Father. This eternal covenant that will never be broken, by the way, Anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who believes in him will have everlasting life. These things I've written unto you, John says, that you may know you have eternal life. That's an amazing truth. But yet I struggle with fully understanding it all. That this great shepherd of the sheep through the blood, through the shedding of his blood, and the everlasting covenant. I don't ever want to be able to come to fully understand that because then it loses its wonder. It loses its dynamic, its power. I don't want to become complacent. Say, yeah, I'm saved, big deal. No, it is a big deal, amen? It's a huge deal. There's no, there's no better deal on this earth 
And yet one day, dear people, we'll be able to stand face to face with the great shepherd and worship him, fall at his feet and worship him. Oh, what a, what a blessing it is to know that we have this everlasting covenant. A covenant, by the way, that was established by God that will never be broken. Lest we lose the wonder of that, dear people. It becomes even more and more evident as you're going through life storms, doesn't it? Aren't you glad that your ship isn't going to sink without the Savior being there? Aren't you glad that life has a, a good end? Can it let you in on a little secret? I've read the last chapter, we win. Not because of who I am, but because who Jesus Christ is. I, I, I read in Revelation chapter 22, where, or chapter 21, excuse me, where Satan is cast in the lake of fire. Yeah, yes! Finally, yes! I get excited about that. I hope I don't ever dream that when I'm in sleep because I'll wake my wife up. I, that's exciting. And that's what these people need. That's what we need. We have an everlasting promise that has been sealed by the blood of the perfect one. His name is Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Who, by the way, also brings us peace, doesn't he? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great truth. But there's one more. One little word, equip. Notice where it says in verse 21. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Equip. Equip us. That's an interesting word in and of itself. Because it really means, in the Greek, it means to equip you for, to, to, if you will, to prepare you for a purpose. Well, now that leads us to another round, doesn't it? What is God's purpose in our life? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are his workmanship. We're not our own, by the way, dear people. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ by grace through faith, all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul says, you're not your own anymore. You belong to the king. And in the purpose that he has for us, two places. One, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has predetermined that we'll walk in them. And the other place is in Romans chapter 8. That the purpose that we have is that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that happens through, if you will, life struggles, doesn't it? All of a sudden we have a deeper appreciation of when the writer of Hebrews says, He was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. We get to know Him more. The intimacy of Him. And realizing that, yeah, even though troubles of life 
And we have a Savior who knows, he understands. And that equips us that we can continue on in the journey, continue on. But notice in this benediction, it also ends with a doxology. How, I don't ever remember in 10 years, maybe we have, and I, I don't know, I chalk it up to early Alzheimer's. Have we ever sung the doxology in church? Here, have we ever sung the doxology? I remember growing up in a little country church, if we had 30 people in the church, we thought worldwide e e evangelism was happening. But you know, the ushers wait in the back and you wait for the opening chord of the piano organ and, and all of a sudden you have to break into praise God from, you, you know that song. Well, why don't we sing it this morning? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Little embellishment on the end. Amen. This benediction ends in that doxology to the praise and glory of our God forever and ever. Isn't that what our life should be? A doxology of praise to our God. No matter where we go, no matter where we walk, no matter what we do, are we giving it to praise our God or ourselves? Well, it, it doesn't end there. And, and in the time that remains, just let me comment on a, a few other things, if I may, for you. There are three commands. There are three commands in verses 22 to verse 25. I appeal to you, brothers, to bear with my word of exhortation. And in other words, what he is saying, he's not scolding them. This is a warm embrace when he says, brothers and sisters. In other words, everything that I've said, everything that I've written to you, don't just write it off as a pray through the, uh, a read through the Bible list, you know, in a year list. You check it off, it's done. no. He's saying, don't let this fall from your ears and your hearts and your souls. Let it stay with you. Keep it, if you will, in, in, in such, a, such a way that you bear with it. That word bear literally means let it become part of your life. Don't toss it off. Don't say, oh, that writer, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. The second command is this. In verse 23, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I, I shall see with you if, if, he, if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints and those who come from Italy send you greetings. Take notice of the people of God. For better for reason you can uh, search this out if you wish 
But there are many theologians that feel that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And the reason being rests, if you will, in verse 23. Because he talks about Timothy, his spiritual son. That Timothy has been released from prison. Wow. And, and, and I hope that he can get to me so that we can come to you together. We don't know if that trip was ever taken. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that notice individuals in the world who are going through tough things. We seem to hunker down in our little holy huddles, don't we? This is nice here. We, we like it here. We're not affected too much about what goes on out there, but give it time. It'll get here. But we are encouraged to know that individuals in the world that are going through tough times, we can pray for them. And we can see how God works in them. The command is pay attention to people in our community, in our neighborhood. Look at this Thursday night isn't just about dressing up tractors. It's not just about giving out hot dogs and hot chocolate and candy and, and whatever. It's not about that. It's about becoming engaged in the lives of the people of our community. Looking out for them. Helping them. Not for us, but for the glory of Christ. That they may see Christ. And last command is this. Don't forget to express and accept greetings. I had an old preacher that taught me many things. And the one thing he taught me was, you've got to learn how to say thank you. You've got to learn to do that. And, and in that, he said, because if you don't learn to do that, you're robbing other people of blessings. The writer of Hebrews is saying here that people in Italy know about you. And they're praying for you. And they're sending things to you. And they're watching over you at the throne of God. Learn how to say thank you. That's what he's saying. Be willing to accept greetings. And lastly, it closes with a wonderful phrase. Grace be with you all. Grace. How do we tie this whole thing up together? Give me five minutes more. Let me just give you three points of application that we can tie it up. The first one is very, very, very simple. Jesus is superior in his person and his work. Let that soak into the depths of your soul there, people. No matter what you may be facing, Jesus Christ is superior. And you think the devil has a hold on you? <laughs> Christ is the chain breaker. You've been set free. Isn't that amazing? 
The second thing is this. There is a practicality of Christianity. There's a reason for it. And, and the reason goes this way. Hebrews beckons us to a life of trusting and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ every moment of every day until the end of our lives. There's a practicality in it. With every step we take, we, with, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. A life of faith, hope, and love is to exude from us for the purpose, if you will, to give God the glory forever and ever. And lastly, it's a goal. The maturity of Christians growing in grace. That's why the book ends. Grace be with you all. Amen. Thank you, Lord God, for this morning. Oh, how we have tried to set the table that we may feast upon the delicacies of this great book. It's one of the 66 love letters that you wanted us to have in order that we could know you more. And that is our goal. I don't know if it was designed this way, but the name of this local assembly begins as this book ends. Grace. That's which we need to live by, and it is that which we also need to shine forth. So unto you, our dear God, we thank you and praise you. In the name of Christ, our great shepherd of the sheep. Amen.